Thank you for listening to our church podcast, where it is our joy to share helpful truths from the Bible. We pray this serves as one more tool to help develop leaders within our church and community who love and honor Jesus and reveal it by loving others. If you have any questions or comments about any of the messages, we invite you to join us on any Wednesday, 6 p.m., for a group discussion on the passages and sermons found here. Luke 1, starting in verse 57. And I'll read the first verse. ask that you join me on the second. And we will continue every other verse. That's Luke 1, starting with verse 57. Now Elizabeth's full time came that she should be delivered, and she brought forth a son. And her neighbors and her cousins heard how the Lord had showed great mercy upon her, and they rejoiced with her. And it came to pass that on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, and they called him Zacharias after the name of his father. And his mother answered and said, Not so, but he shall be called John. And they said unto her, There is none of thy kindred that is called by this name. And they made signs to his father how he would have him called. And he asked for a writing table and wrote, saying, His name is John. And they marveled all. And his mouth was opened immediately, and his tongue loosed, and he spake and praised God. And fear came on all that dwelt round about them. And all these sayings were noised abroad throughout all the hill country of Judea. And all they that heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What manner of child shall this be? And the hand of the Lord was with him. And his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Ghost and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he hath visited and redeemed his people and hath raised up an horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spake by the mouth of his holy prophets, which have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all them that hate us, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers, and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he sware to our father Abraham, that he would grant unto us that we, being delivered out of the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. And thou, child, shalt be called the prophet of the highest, for thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of their sins, through the tender mercy of our God, whereby the day spring from on high hath visited us, to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and waxed strong in spirit and was in the deserts till the day of his showing unto Israel. Heavenly Father, I ask that over these next few minutes that you would help us to learn and grow from your word and from this study of your mercy, Lord, and how your mercy was displayed upon sinners Uh, like me and like everyone else in this room. God, we thank you for this. We praise you. And we ask that you would teach us from your word. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, Last week, I preached a sermon that I entitled, Praise God for His Grace to the Humble. And remember, we looked at uh, Elizabeth and Mary, how they were both uh, very humble people. They didn't think very highly of themselves. They considered themselves to be totally unworthy of the grace of God. And they were amazed uh, at God's grace towards them, and that led them to praise Him. This morning, I've titled the sermon, Praise God for His Mercy to Sinners. And we'll see this more as we study this uh, this song of praise from Zacharias. 
But obviously we're continuing in the book of Luke. And this morning we come to the account of the birth of John the Baptist. We looked uh, a few weeks ago, you remember, we, we talked about Zechariah and Elizabeth, how they were both righteous people serving God. And Zacharias, uh, of course, was a priest in the temple. And one day he goes in to offer incense on the altar in, in, in the most holy place of the temple. And an angel appears to him, and Gabriel tells him uh, that you're going to have a child, a son. And of course, they were both elderly at this point, well beyond the point of uh, childbearing. So this came as a great shock to Zacharias. And he couldn't believe uh, what the angel was saying. And so the angel, after he expresses his unbelief, the angel strikes him uh, mute. He's, he's unable to speak. And in fact, we'll see this later as we go into this, but he's probably also deaf. Uh, there's indications in the text that he was, he was unable to speak and hear. And so uh, the angel tells Zacharias that because you did not believe the word of God, you'll be unable to speak until this baby is born. We're going to pick up the story right where the baby is born. Verse 57 where Elizabeth gives birth to this promised child. It says that the full time came uh, that she should be delivered. She brought forth a son. And her neighbors and her cousins heard how the Lord had showed great mercy upon her. And they rejoiced with her. So there's the first mention of mercy. Mercy found three times. Uh, and the people in the hill country of Judah had heard of this miraculous birth of this elderly lady. And so, of course, they wanted to come check this out. I mean, wouldn't you be interested in this? And so... Uh, all of her relatives and neighbors, people who knew her, uh, came together at the time she was going to give birth to see the birth of this, this son to rejoice. Verse 59 says that on the eighth day when they came to circumcise the child, this would be the time when they would, uh, when they would name the child. I'm sorry, Malachi, can you help me advance the slides here? I'm sorry, I'm behind you. Uh, this is when they're going to name the child in verse 59, and they, they begin to call him by his dad's name. They call him you know, Zacharias Jr., and, uh, and Elizabeth says, no, no, stop. His name is supposed to be John. And so uh, the scene here is sort of like uh, they're writing on the birth certificate, if you will. They're putting, you know, Zacharias and Mary, or I'm sorry, Elizabeth stops them and says, no, his name is John. This was uh, very unusual because normally you would name, in these times you would name a son either after the father or after someone in the family. It wasn't uh, there weren't, you know, baby name books back then where you just kind of flip through and find some random thing spelled in a weird way, right? That's how we do it today. Um, back then, it was, it was pretty much, you looked at your dad, you looked at your grandpas or, or your uh, your uncles or somebody, and you found the name that you liked out of your family. And so this was very unusual. People don't understand this. Uh, in verse 61, they, they express this. They say, there's none of thy kindred, none of your family is called by this name, John. Where did you come up with this? In verse 62, and this is where we get the indication that Zacharias is likely deaf. It says that they made signs to his father of he would have him called. And so presumably if he could hear, they wouldn't have to use sign language to communicate to him. And so they, they ask him, well, what do you think about this? Well, what would you name him? And uh, verse 63, Zacharias asks for a writing to him, because of course he can't speak. So he's got to write this down for them. And he writes saying his name is John. And and it said, the text says in verse 63, they marveled all. They were absolutely stunned uh, by this. In verse 64, an even more stunning thing happens. His mouth was opened immediately and his tongue loosed, and he spake and praised God. So nine months of silence, nine months of not being able to, to speak and, and likely not being able to hear. Zacharias, his punishment is finally lifted. And the first words out of his mouth are praise to God. I think this time of silence was probably good for Zacharias. Uh, he goes from doubting God to praising him. It's amazing how God's punishment 
turns into blessing for his children. In Hebrews, it teaches us uh, ex- explicitly that whenever we go through chasing and God rebukes us, uh, it's not it's not really punishment. It's not like he's just mad at us, and so he's, he's taking out his wrath. No, the wrath of God was taken out in Jesus Christ. And so when God rebukes us, and, and the Bible uses the word chasteneth us or corrects us, it is for our betterment, Hebrews says. So every time that God brings uh, trials into our lives as a result of our sin, it is with the end in mind that we would be corrected, we correct course and get back to where we're supposed to be. And this, this nine months of silence has served Zacharias well. I was thinking about what would I do if I was unable to speak or unable to hear for nine months. That's a long time. Can you imagine just how, 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 how much silence and stillness there would be for that, that amount of time? I was thinking I'd probably be doing a lot of reading, I'd be doing a lot of praying, and I'd be doing a lot of thinking. And uh, I just happen to think most of us don't spend enough time thinking. You know, we're very busy, we have noise all around us. And Zacharias, although this certainly was a rebuke, uh, I can't help but think it must have been a blessing also, this time of uh, reflection over what God was doing. And now that Zacharias' time is, has come for this punishment to be lifted, and his tongue is loose, he's able to speak again, the first thing he does is praise God. Notice in verse 65, the text says that fear came on all that dwelt round about them, all the neighbors and all the people that live in this area, uh, they were amazed at this, and all these sayings were noised abroad throughout the hill country of Judea. This became the talk of the town. Everybody was talking about this miraculous birth, and uh, this this elderly priest that couldn't talk for a while, and all of a sudden he can't even talk about just a crazy uh, set of circumstances. And so these people are wondering at what, what God is doing in this. Verse 66, let's look at their conclusion. It says, all they that heard them, speaking of uh, the sayings in verse 65, so everybody that heard about this, laid them up in their hearts, saying, What manner of child shall this be? And the hand of the Lord was with them. So here we see some of why God did it this way. He's drawing attention to John the Baptist, this little baby. Whenever you have a, a miraculous birth like this, it caused people to uh, apparently to, to wonder, what is this child? Like, wh- what's going on here? This is unusual circumstances. And so it drew attention to John in a way that a normal kid wouldn't have. It was obvious that God was going to use John in a powerful way. And this caused people eventually, when John grows up and starts preaching, uh, people listen to him because they know that this, this, this child was not born in an ordinary fashion. God was a very apparent in his birth. Now, verse 67 is where we move to the actual prayer of praise offered by Zacharias. He says, uh, verse 67 says, He was filled with the Holy Ghost, and he prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he hath visited and redeemed or saved his people. And he hath uh, raised up an horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. Now, this is not speaking of John the Baptist. John the Baptist was not a descendant of David. This is speaking of Jesus. Jesus is the one who comes through the line of David. So Zacharias is praising God for sending the Messiah, even though the Messiah hasn't come yet. The Messiah uh, is yet to be born. That comes in the next chapter. And he calls this Messiah the horn of salvation. Horn here is not uh, a musical instrument. Okay, This is like, think of uh, an ox horn. Okay, This is a symbol of might and strength. Uh, this is what the animals would use when they, when they fight against each other. And so this, Zacharias is saying that God is raising up a mighty Savior for us. Somebody who will conquer our enemy and rescue us. And he says in verse 70, as he spake by the mouth of his holy prophets, which has been 
since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all that hate us. So all throughout the Old Testament, there's prophecies of one that's coming, a mighty uh, warrior, really, who's coming to save God's people. And it's possible that Zacharias, at this point, is, is thinking about the Romans, right? Because Israel's under Roman uh, oppression or Roman rule at this time. And, uh, and the, the Jews hated the Romans. They hated being occupied by them. And, and so they were looking for the Messiah to come and to conquer the Romans and free them to live independently. And of course, that's not really what these prophecies were speaking of. Now, some of them were talking about Jesus' second coming, where he comes to establish his uh, physical kingdom on earth. But most of those prophecies, many of them were speaking of Jesus not defeating physical enemies of Israel, but actually defeating the spiritual enemy, sin and, and Satan. And so Jesus comes the first time to conquer sin, the greatest enemy of all. He dies on the cross to free us from our sins. And Zacharias gets into this more as the prayer continues. Verse 72, he says, uh, continuing on, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant or promise. Verse 73, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham. So he, we mentioned this last week that if you read in Genesis, uh, God promises Abraham that one of your descendants is going to bring blessing to the whole world. And of course, that's fulfilled in Jesus Christ. His death and resurrection that provides uh, freedom from sin for everyone today. Verse 74 says that he would grant unto us that we being delivered out of the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear. This reminds me of uh, when God's people are are in Egypt and they're, they're slaves to Pharaoh. Remember that story, God frees them from that bondage. And Exodus chapter 8 gives us the reason why he frees them. It says, the Lord spake unto Moses, uh, go unto Pharaoh and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord, let my people go. That famous uh, line of Moses. But look at the rest of it. That they may serve me. And so it wasn't just that they would be saved from Egypt for the sake of being saved. No, they were saved to serve. Verse 74, Zacharias in our text is telling us the exact same thing, that God saved Israel from Egypt so that they could serve him. You know, Pharaoh wasn't allowing uh, the Jews, of course, to serve God. And so they were, they were hindered from worshiping him. And, and when Jesus came to defeat our enemy, Satan, and sin, it wasn't just to save us for the sake of being saved. Okay, we're saved to serve God. We're not just saved to be saved. We're saved to serve. A lot of people want to be saved, but they don't want to serve. <laughs> they want the, fir- the first part of that. We want to be uh, saved from sin and saved from uh, from the punishment that comes with sin, but we don't want to have to actually serve God. And that's, that's not what salvation is. The whole point of salvation is we're freed from slavery to sin in order to, to serve God. That's why we call Jesus our Lord, right? The word Lord just means master. Uh, Jesus is our master. We are his slave. That's biblical language. We see this in uh, Romans 6. This is what the whole chapter is all about. And if, if you're looking for a good chapter of the Bible to memorize, Romans 6 is fantastic. We'll be looking here in Romans 6, verse 17. Paul says, But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin. So prior to your salvation, you were servants of sin. But ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine uh, which was delivered you. That's speaking of the gospel. So uh, they were formerly slaves. And the word their servants is doulos in Greek. It means slaves. They were slaves to sin, and then uh, they obeyed the gospel. And notice verse 18, being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. So you're not freed from 
slavery to sin to go live however you want. No, you're freed from slavery to sin in order to uh, follow and serve Christ. He is your new master. So as we obey the gospel, that means you know we, be- we believe the gospel, we repent of our sins. In verse 18, that when that says that when that happens, uh, two changes are made. First, you're freed from your bondage to sin. And second, you become a servant of righteousness. An exchange of masters takes place. Used to be the servant of sin, doing whatever the flesh wanted, and now you've become the servant of God. You should be doing whatever He wants. And this is what salvation is all about. Verse 22 explains this in Romans 6. It says, But now being made free from sin and become servants or slaves to God, ye have your fruits unto holiness and the end everlasting life. So, so that's salvation right there. It's being freed from sin in order to live for God. You have justification, which is being freed from sin uh, in the past. And you see this all in verse 22 where it says being made free from sin. That's justification. That's when your, your sins are forgiven. And then it says, become the servants to God. You have your fruit unto holiness. Now that's sanctification. That's where we are right now. We're, uh, we're supposed to be growing in our service and, and love for God. And then glorification is the end of that. The end, everlasting life. So as a Christian, we're not merely saying yes to, to Jesus as our Savior. We're also saying yes to Him as our Lord, as our Master. We are becoming a servant of God. Zechariah says that Jesus was coming to free us from the bondage of our enemies so that we might serve him without fear. Notice verse 75, he continues, uh, in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. So we're saved from our enemies in order to serve God, uh, first of all, without fear, that's verse 74, and then verse 75, we're supposed to serve him in holiness and in righteousness all the days of our life. We'll get back to that a little bit later uh, in the message, that concept of all the days of our life. This is not a temporary thing. Uh, we should be servants of God for the rest of our days. Paul said a similar statement. He said, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. So if you aren't serving God in holiness and righteousness, then you've misunderstood salvation. That's the whole point, is that we would be saved to serve God. We're called to become servants of God. And that this call to service extends throughout the rest of our lives. Verse 76, Zacharias now transitions from Jesus and his mission to that of John the Baptist, the, the forerunner of the Messiah. Remember, John is the one that announces the arrival of Jesus Christ. And that's really John's whole point, is to, to preach to people, to repent, and to be, to be ready for Jesus. And then when Jesus comes on the scene, John the Baptist says, now go follow him. And so verse 76, Zacharias transitions to talking about John. He says, thou child shalt be called the prophet of the highest. For thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways. And so again, he's coming before Jesus, the Lord. Uh, Verse 77, to give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of sins. And so Zechariah says John is preparing the way for the coming of the Lord, who who he's just spent eight verses uh, describing as the horn of salvation, the one who comes and conquers our enemy and frees us so that we can serve God. And then Zechariah says, you child, John the Baptist, you're going to prepare the way for the Lord by giving knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins. So there's the enemy. Sin is that enemy that he's been talking about, that God is defeating, uh, that God is defeating through the coming of Christ. And the salvation is that of having our sins uh, remitted or forgiven. So then being saved from our enemies is ultimately being saved from sins. This is... the the same concept here. This is the salvation that Jesus comes to provide. And 
John the Baptist is going to preach that message that if people will repent of their sins and trust in Christ, uh, that, that they can be saved from sins. By the way, this is our job as well. Uh, as ambassadors of Jesus Christ, we're supposed to be preparing people all around us for the coming of Christ. Again, Jesus is coming again. And so we should look at John the Baptist really as an example uh, of what we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be preparing people and saying, hey, Jesus is coming. Jesus is on the way. And guess what? The message hasn't changed. Uh, how you, you be prepared for Christ's arrival is the same today as it was for John the Baptist. You repent and you believe. The, the gospel message has not changed. Verse 78, uh, Zacharias continues describing this salvation from sins. He says, Through the tender mercy of our God, whereby the day spring from on high hath visited us, to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. So notice salvation gives light to those in darkness, and then it directs those uh, in how they are to live. The gospel light finds us in darkness and then leads us out of that darkness. I, I was reminded as I was thinking about this, I grew up in uh, in the very northern part of New York, uh, and just south of us is the Adirondack Mountains, which are beautiful mountains. And, uh, and so my brother and I and my dad, we like to hike quite a bit, and uh, there's 46 of them that are over 5,000 feet, and so the big deal where I grew up was to climb all 46. You became a 46er, you got a bumper sticker, you know, it was, it was a big deal. Uh, and so me and my brother and my dad, we'd climb these uh, regularly. My dad was a business owner, so we didn't have, he didn't have as free of a schedule maybe as everybody else uh, normally, and so we, we'd, we'd sneak in maybe seven, eight hikes a summer uh, whenever he had a Saturday free. And, uh, and we inevitably would, would make this terrible decision of trying to sneak one more in before winter. And the problem is it's winter up on the top of a mountain way before it's winter down, you know, in, in the valley. And so we try to sneak one more in toward the end of the season. And, and uh, many times that did not work out very well. I remember one particular hike, um, my brother and my dad and I were, were hiking up a mountain in... Uh, as we got, it started off fine. It was like 50-something degrees when we started. It was nice outside, no problem. About halfway up, we hit snow. And it starts off with little patches, and you're like, oh, boy, here it comes. And by the time we get toward the top, literally, we're three feet of snow. And we're, we're plowing <laughs> through this. And that slows you down big time when you're sinking in, you know, every step. And, uh, and so we continued hiking, and, and my dad finally just had to stop. He couldn't, he couldn't keep going, so he, he stopped and... Uh, told us to go on ahead the rest of the way, and, and we'd come back and meet up with him. Well, we did that, my brother and I did, and it took us forever. Like, we only had like a mile left, but it took us forever because of the snow. And so by the time we turned around and came back, we, we probably shouldn't have finished the hike, honestly. But, uh, but we did. We got all the way up, and, and we came back down, and it was starting to get dark. And so uh, my dad was kind of freaking out about that. He doesn't want to be stuck on a mountain in the dark, and he didn't know what happened to us. Like, what's taking us so long? He thought... You know, maybe one of us slipped and broke a leg or something. So he decides to go down, and he can't make it. There's no way he was going to make it up, up the rest of the way. So, so he goes back down uh, to go you know, get help, presumably, if, if we're hurt or something. And, uh, and so we get back to the place where we know Dad was, and he's not there. And we're like, what in the world's going on here? So, so we figured he must have gone back down the trail. Uh, and and we, we go down there. And it just gets darker and darker and darker until... And now, it worked out okay for me and my brother because we had headlamps. So we were fine. My dad, no such luck. <laughs> he had no light whatsoever. And so uh, it's, it's, it's pitch black outside. 
And my dad is, uh, you know, as it gets to twilight, you can still see a little bit. And then it gets to a point where he just couldn't see at all. And he got lost. He got off trail. Uh, and eventually he made his way back. He was actually feeling on the trees for the reflectors to make sure he was on the trail. And so eventually he just stopped and he sat down and just waited for us. And I think he was there for a couple of hours, just in pitch black darkness, wondering, wondering if we're even coming. Uh, but but he, he had no way of getting out of there. Well, then eventually, obviously, we catch up to him and uh, the look on his face. He was so happy to see us. Uh, but it would have done uh, him no good if we just shined our headlights on him, right? He wasn't just happy about the fact that we had lights so that we could find him. The whole point was, hey, now I can get out of here. I can get out of this forest. And so this is what I was thinking of as I read these verses. In, in verse 78, it says, The day spring from on high hath visited us to give light to them that sit in darkness in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. So salvation does not just uh, find us in the darkness of sin. It leads us out. That's the whole point. And so what I, what I fear is a lot of people, they, they want to become a Christian, and they're so excited about the light, finding them in darkness, and then they just sit in darkness. Uh, they, they stay there, and they don't understand that the light of the gospel, it's not just about finding us in sin. It's about leading us out of that life and leading us into the path that God has for us. Zacharias says that the light of Jesus finds those in darkness, and then it leads their steps, guiding them throughout the rest of their lives. That is what salvation is all about. Verse 80, the child grew, speaking of John, waxed strong in spirit and was in the deserts until the day of his showing unto Israel. We'll talk about that more as we uh, get into the life of John the Baptist. But as we look back on this text, I want us to notice uh, the word mercy is repeated three times. Uh, and I don't have these slides up there, but in verse, if you have your Bible there, in verse um, 58, it says that the neighbors and relatives of, of Elizabeth heard that the Lord had showed great mercy upon her in... Verse 72, this is Zechariah's song of praise. It says, to perform the mercy uh, promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. And then in verse 78, the verse we just read, through the tender mercy of our God. That's, that's how we're saved and given that light of the gospel. And so mercy is a key theme throughout this text. God's mercy toward, toward sinners is the heart of this text. His forgiveness of sins in particular is the theme of Zechariah's song. And this mercy has shown in our hearts not only to show us how to have our sins forgiven, but it now should serve as a, mo a motivation to serve God. Okay, so when somebody does something uh, or doesn't give you something negative that you deserve, the natural response is to want to thank them for their kindness. Have you ever been extended mercy by someone? I mean, I think of my wife, obviously, right? Uh, if you're married, uh, every marriage, there's mercy that has to be extended back and forth. That's how marriages work, right? And... Uh, when somebody shows you great mercy, like when you just really blew it, and then they just forgive you with a sweet spirit and they show you that mercy, it makes you want to do something for them, doesn't it? You feel indebted to them. And so that's what Zacharias is saying here. If we recognize the mercy of God toward us as sinners, this should not just cause us to praise God, but to want to live our lives in service to him, to show our gratitude for this great mercy. And this should be the heart of every Christian for the rest of their life. Again, back to verse 75 where it says, uh, this motivation to serve God, this mercy of God, this should be for, for our whole lives. We should serve Him in holiness and righteousness until the end of our life. And as Christians, it's easy for us to praise God for His mercy in forgiving our sins when we first get saved. It's easy for us to, to think about how great God is to us when we first become aware of the gospel. And yet, it it's also easy for us, as we've been Christians for a while, to, to grow cold to that and to stop thinking about the mercy of God. Now, I do want to put up a slide here that I was uh, 
I thought of this as I was thinking about this text. Remember this, if you're familiar with Toy Story, just follow me here. These three aliens, uh, they fall out of a car, right? They fall out of the window. The guy's driving crazy. They fall out of the window. And Mr. Potato Head grabs them and pulls them back in the car, okay? So he saves their lives. And what do the aliens say? You have saved our lives. We are eternally grateful, right? They say this to him, and they're giving him his ear back right there. Um, but throughout the rest of the movie, like everything, basically the only line these aliens have is, you have saved our lives. We are eternally grateful. And every time that they find an opportunity to serve uh, Mr. Potato Head, they, they do whatever they can do for him. And as they're doing it, they keep repeating, you have saved our lives. We are eternally grateful. And he's getting super annoyed with them after a while because it's just like, shut up, guys. Stop talking about it. Uh, but the fact that, that he had saved them caused them uh, to want to, to serve him. And, and that was their motivation to do so. Now, I'm sure this is the first time that uh, Jesus has ever been compared to Mr. Potato Head. But anyway, he saved our lives. We should be eternally grateful. And we should look for every opportunity to serve him as a way of expressing our gratitude for the mercy of God. And that, that's the hard part of this, is keeping that attitude all the days of our life, like Zechariah said. Again, it's easy when we first get saved because it's fresh, it's exciting, we, we just got our sins forgiven, this is, this is great. And yet, what happens over a few years of being saved is we forget about God's mercy. We feel like that was something that happened a long time ago. And again, I, I mentioned this last week, but this is why confession of sin is so important. Because as I sin, and as I take time to stop and confess that sin and to, to ask God for his mercy once again, I realize I don't just need God's mercy 10 years ago when I got saved. I, I needed God's mercy this morning. And God's mercy, at our point of salvation, it forgives us for all of our sins, for our past, our present, and our future sins, even uh, the sins that we go on to commit after our conversion. And so as, we're, as we sin, even today as Christians, God's mercy still extended to that. It's not like we just needed mercy for those sins way back there. No, every time you and I sin, uh, we should be reminded of the fact that God has showed us great mercy in forgiving that sin already. That's another sin that Jesus took on himself and felt the weight of on the cross. That's another sin that he received punishment for. We ought to be reminded every time we sin of the overwhelming mercy of God towards us. I think if we keep our focus on that, it should cause a sense of indebtedness to God that leads to our service for Him. We need to recall to our minds regularly the mercy of God. This is what Jeremiah did in Lamentations chapter 3. He said, This I recall to my mind, therefore have I hope. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed, because His compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. I don't know about you, but I need the mercy of God every morning. And I'm so glad that His compassion doesn't run out. And even as I, I try to serve God and I, I fail constantly and I'm, I'm reminded of my own sinfulness, even as a Christian, every time I stumble, every time I fall along the way, God's mercy is right there to pick me back up. His unending mercy is what gives us hope. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he hath visited and redeemed his people. He hath raised up in horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he spake by the mouth of his holy prophets, which have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all them that hate us to perform the mercy promised to our fathers to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham, that he would grant unto us that we, being delivered out of the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. And thou, child, shall be called the prophet of the highest, for thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of their sins, 
through the tender mercy of our God, whereby the day spring from on high hath visited us, to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Praise God for his mercy to sinners. We hope the message you just heard was helpful to you. It means a lot to us that you would join us for this podcast. For more information about our church and meeting times, visit lbcmiller.com or call us at 219-885-9303. We would love to hear from you.